I'm Gloria Panzera, and you're listening to This Novel is Happening, a podcast chronicling the journey of my writing, procrastinating, submitting, getting an acceptance for my novel, and whatever happens next. Welcome, we're back. It's been a hundred years. <laughs> All right, where should we start? Um, I wanted to give an update about the marketing thing, because last episode I talked about like what the plan was and so I've slowly been moving into the um you know getting that stuff ready and so it's I think September is six months away which is like a really good time right now to um start reaching out to bookstores and stuff like that to do readings and so I have my list of local bookstores that I would like to reach out to for readings and I'm debating contact. We have, I, we live in Charlotte or near Charlotte. And so there's a lot of colleges and universities in the area. And I was thinking about maybe reaching out to the English departments about that to do readings. Um, but I'm not sure if that is appropriate. But I feel like it should be because I'm it's not like I'm not academic. I mean, I don't know. So I'm sort of toying with that. But right now the focus is bookstores. So I have my list and I've been making local connections. So I'm on track of to doing the things that I talked about in the last episode for marketing. But today or tonight, because it's nighttime right now while we're recording, um, I uh, we're going to talk about I got my edits back, you guys. Um, I finally got my edits back. It was a lot of information. Um, and we did, rec- like, I think a week after I got them, I waited to open them, which was really hard. To, it was really hard to wait. Justin told me, Gloria, you have to wait till we're recording before you open up your notes. And I did. I actually, when we, before we started recording, he even asked, you even, do you remember asking me? You're like, did you really wait to open these? And I did. I waited for a fucking week to open that shit. And it was torture. Like I kept seeing the email of my edits and they were taunting me. And I was like, just like this book, this has just been a game of taunting. And anyway, um, so I waited and I'll, we'll, we'll play it, you know, the reaction to the edits. Um, but anyway, I wanted to kind of go through kind of how that whole process happened. So I got my edits and then, um, I reacted to them, which I'll, we'll, we'll play that for you, um, shortly. And then after, so when I first got them, there's two files one of them's like the name of the novel as it stands right now. And then um, the other file was called. So there's two files. I feel like I'm rambling. So there's two files. One of them's the name of the novel and then white. And then the other one is kind of like, I call them when I give them to my students, I call them global comments or like an end comment. And it's like much, it's a little bit more fleshed out. And it's like, an, it's like three or four pages of just kind of, big ideas to consider while revising. And that's what I recorded reacting to, um, last week. So, um, what I, what I think we should do is probably play that now. And then I'll go once that is played, then I'll go through kind of my game plan for how I'm going to edit the novel now that I have my notes. So here is me opening my email and reading my notes for the first time with, you know, recording all that jazz. So enjoy. Okay, so I'm opening my edits. I haven't seen them yet. I don't know what they look like. Um, so I'm just going to go through and see what, what's here. Um, and this first, so she sent me two files. One of them is called like the name, the title, and then white. And then the other one is larger edits. 
And I have the white document open and it looks mostly as I'm going through it. There's not there's not a lot there, but it's mostly grammar. And I'm going to spare you the the grammar comments. I'm just kind of skimming through it here. Some small changes it looks like instead of like Arabic numbers, it looks like they want Roman numerals, which is totally fine with me. But a lot of it's, you know, sometimes you um, you forget a word or something. That That's what I'm looking at here. It's just red English teacher stuff. Um, it's not as much as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so that's good. Um, so far, it's mostly just grammar. So I think I will spare you those um that feedback because it's it's like nitpicky tight tightening up stuff which is super important and valuable um but i don't need to go through 208 pages of there's grammar errors on here <laughs> so yeah all right so the larger edits okay so um, this is a three page document, which I guess I'll just read and see what it says. And if we're not going to give away spoiler alerts, if we read this, are we? Um, I don't know. Cause I have not read it. <laughs> um, you know what? As I'm reading it aloud, if I f feel like I need to edit, I will tell you. Okay. This way I can be real and you can kind of hear the editor's voice, which, um, it's fine with me. And if this doesn't work at all, uh, we just, we won't share this with the listeners. <laughs> so, okay. So it says, first and foremost, in my editing comments, I really don't give many compliments. Focus on the positive aspects of the work simply because it means you don't need help on those bits. So remember, just because I don't directly speak on the strengths of a work, it doesn't mean I don't recognize them. Bear this in mind while reading through my edits on the manuscript and those below. Oh my God, this woman is like a woman after my own heart. <laughs> I feel like I wish I could do that when I'm editing my student papers. <laughs> Be like, listen, I don't need to tell you this is good. It's just good. So shut the fuck up and fix the stuff that's messed up. Um, okay, so it says, because her narrative addresses very deep personality, integral things, her unresolved could be wishes for Raffaele, her wonderings and longings for Domenico and casual things like cooking and coffee with the same level of narrative depth Liliana has a tendency to feel a little overly changeable. I'm not sure I understand what that means. It makes sense that she would house both a longing for Domenico and unresolved love for Raphael still dormant inside her at the same time. But because everything exists on the same level of conscious narr narration, it can seem more like her mind is changing left and right, almost schizophrenically. Ooh, okay. Going from wanting Raffaella to wanting Domenico at a dime's drop rather than having both of those emotions as part of her simultaneously. Hmm. Trying to reckon how I'm going to deal with this. I hope there's suggestions. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Varying the levels of emotional immediacy would help this. And by that, I mean maybe approach moments where she's thinking about Raffaele with less words, less conscious. She hoped he'd still thought about her kind of stuff, replacing it with a more subtle mode of suggestion. Oh, that's a great, great idea. This would make her character feel more varied and nuanced. As a general principle, the more core, deeper an emotion in a human's brain, the less conscious the person is of that emotion. So the narrative should be less direct about things that matter the most to the character. Oh, that's such an interesting note. What does that mean? Well, cause like, I guess I never thought about like, um, like something that like when, you know, like when something's really important to a human, they're not like, they're not so like open about it. It's more like, like they keep it to themselves or, um, like it's from based on this suggestion, it's sort of like, it's not so much like, uh, it's like more subtle versus, uh, like, well, like when you love somebody, like, yeah, sure. You, you talk about that you love them, but I think there's more like specific gestures or looks that are not like outward 
like verbal like verbalizations of that love and i think that's what she's referring to are there offhand that you can think of places in the text where you know that that's something you need to change yeah definitely can you give us an example uh i'd have to open up my entire draft but like there's like a scene where um at the beginning of the novel where she, uh, liliana is um getting ready to say goodbye to her husband who's getting ready to leave for venezuela and she's being asked by other people in the town oh have you heard from you know from rafael and you know she immediately kind of goes into her head and thinking about like how she hasn't heard from him like what's you know and she's then begins to worry like is is this gonna is this is her husband leaving going to end up the same way as when Raffaele left you know three or four years before so there's like instead of thinking that I can see maybe describing physical gestures or like eyes like an eye you know her eyes flickered or you know what i mean like something a little a little less like this is the the I, to put this in more like creative writing teacher language it's like showing versus telling instead of telling the audience like she's thinking about Raffaele, and it would be more effective to show you know you know to show her her body maybe caving in or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, for the first scene, Domenico was in, I understood that her marrying him was an act out of desperation from the loss, that's in quotes, of Raphael. And I think the reason for this is the things I discuss in the above comment. Yeah, that's something that I really struggled with when I was writing this is I, I worry that like as much as Domenico's character for lack of a better, we'll put, we'll call him an antagonist. That's not really accurate, but, um, I definitely always worried that he, I, as I was writing him, I worry that he's going to be, he's going to come off as just an asshole, which I'm not to say that he's not, but I do think that like when I wrote these characters, I do believe that they like Liliana loves Domenico. Like she, she wouldn't have fucking married him if she didn't love him as flawed as the whole situation is with her still in love with, with Raffaele who she hasn't seen in, you know, four years. She loves Domenico and I don't want her, I don't want that to be lost so clearly I need to investigate and interrogate those moments to make sure that it, um, that that's coming across. Because, you know, sending your husband after two months of marriage across the ocean, knowing that, you know, Pat, if, if, if history has um, is, is any kind of indicator of what is to come, homeboy might not come back and that's that's that was happening to a lot of women they're sending their husbands and like i i know that like we've been married for how many years have we married seven years something like that like i can't imagine two months into us being married you getting on a boat (laughs) and you know my not being able to get a hold of you for possibly a year I, I would think that there is like a devastation there and I wouldn't be thinking about like the one that got away mostly because I don't have a one that got away, but you know what I mean? Anyway. <clears throat> okay. On third person omniscient narratives, these narratives have a tendency to lean toward a shallower feel simply because giving one narrative credence over multiple people can make all the characters just seem like different personalities of the narrator and thus of the author. The head hopping here is a bit much. It can sometimes visit each character's thoughts one after another so fast that none of them feel very deep to this. To combat this, each character's narrative moments should feel distinct and different, not like the same voice wandering between characters without changing and be the transitions between each shift in character focus should be much smoother and less head jumping. Another solution is limiting each part. 
Liliana Francesca Anna, to thoughts of that one character. Since it feels like a whole act dedicated to one character should really only include the character's head anyway. This is just a suggestion, but it needs to be fixed by any means. Not every book needs to be a stream of consciousness experience, but when the narrative is dwelling completely outside of any character's mind, then the only option is that the narrator is communicating directly with the reader like a storyteller, and that can lead to a very shallow reading experience. That's a good point. I struggled with point of view. I feel like... I was actually teaching point of view today to my students and I was telling them, I feel like I spend (laughs) so much of my writing time thinking about point of view, whose perspective is, should be first, should be limited, should be omniscient. You know, why choose that? What's the effect going to be? What's preferential to this, this, this telling of the story. Um, so then what's nice is she gives some things to consider. So she says, consider the below. So often, everything that a character thinks or feels is, sim- is stated so plainly, consciously, and wide awake that the reading experience falls flat. It It's all on one level, not going in a subtler direction. Reporting to the reader in the most lucid possible terms what any character is thinking or feeling at a given moment. This is hand-holding the reader guiding them step-by-step through the story and through the characters in a way that frequently gets stale. If the reader is not directly experiencing the thoughts and feelings of a character through the means of narrative language, then they're being told the story by a third party, which is very a very detrimental effect on the versimilitude, versimilitude of the novel. The fact that everybody speaks English may be a problem. Admittedly, English is the number one language in the world, and many Italian people speak it fluently. If the whole novel were in Italian, it wouldn't fare well with an English reading audience. That being said, what makes it a point of contention, in my opinion, is that there are many moments when the characters will say certain words in Italian that they have no real reason to say in Italian as opposed to English, the language they speak throughout the rest of the novel. This is what will actually make the reader think, wait, I thought they spoke English and then they'll notice the incongruity of language and it'll become a distraction disconnect from the reading experience. Remember, if there's some kind of storyline reason that they would be speaking in both languages, maybe the fighting Nazis prefer English or some ancestor was an Englishman, etc., then this would be resolved easily. Hmm. All right. I need to think about this language thing. Because in my mind, they're just speaking Italian and I'm incorporating the Italian for like added effect, but I guess the effect isn't working. <laughs> so something to think about. All right. Alrighty. Um, a lot of the time, dependent clauses are treated as standalone experiences like Angela's voice unsure or flower sticking to her face, which I understand is a stylistic choice using descriptors only as a way of getting across a sensation. But you want to be careful it doesn't sound too much like the kind like a kind of simpleton speak, just putting putting words next to one another without stringing them together in a sentence, sounding almost baby talkish rather than just descriptive. There's a lack of scene. I don't know what she means by scene. Maybe it'll make sense here as I keep going. That can be really frustrating. The narrative may go from thoughts from thoughts and inferiority straight into a dialogue that is suddenly followed by a scene. This is a neat effect in that it leaves the reader wondering how they got there in a slightly subtle way, but it also leaves them with no information as to what the scene is, where they are in time or place, or how this fits into the narrative at all. This latter flaw is especially the case when a chapter will begin with one setting and then go through the process to transition almost randomly into a house scene that the reader can't tell if it's in the past, the present, or how it fits into the original scene. Again, this can occasionally be a clever and subtle way of moving the reader through the story, but also sometimes results in confusion and a sense of aimlessness. I think it, I think it's a matter of valuing to what degree you're willing to take that risk and when to do it for the right reasons. Man, I have no idea even, I wish I had a list of like, specific places where this is problematic. So I'm going to have to reread with that in mind. 
All right. Ideally, the cooking dynamic with with its very crisp energy, very crisp imagery, very solid and satisfying vibes would serve as a way of indicating certain things about the plot characters through the symbolism of food. There are certainly places where this happens, but I'd like to see this element made more integral and expanded on used in more places and more dynamically than it currently is. The way information is presented to the reader can feel haphazard. Oftentimes, the textual narrative when navigating the character's thoughts can feel aimless and much more rant-like, breaking up and distorting the flow of thought. All the essential elements might be there, but they're not presented in a working order. There's no real through line of thought. There's no real through line of thought can navigate the reader along, and instead it often... It's often a series of thoughts that are just spread out randomly. This is not to say you need to handhold the reader and communicate with them 100% lucidly, but characters don't think in random patterns and the narrative shouldn't perpetuate that. I have no idea what this note means, so I'm going to have to email her about that. Okay, the lack of physical details on any of the characters makes them all look the same in the reader's mind, which when they're are so many daughters and mothers and grandmothers and aunts really needs to be avoided. I think that this is a pretty easy fix when you first introduce a character. If you take the time to really give them an in-depth description, the reader likely won't need very much reminding throughout, maybe once or twice, but as long as it happens near the time they're first introduced, it works fine. And then she just lists some repetitive words. Well, there we have it. The notes. So thoughts? Um, a lot of these I kind of find surprising, not that they're not issues, just that like I feel like the notes that I'd gotten in the workshop, I mean, remember, this is like something I've had workshopped a lot. Um, I've had a lot of feedback over the years from like my professors and my writing friends. And a lot of this is like, not stuff that came up before. It's much more nuanced. I mean, obviously, there she's a professional editor, so <laughs> that's going to play a big role. Um, I'm kind of right now, <laughs> not going to lie about this. I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed because the rewrite or the re- you know my next round is due on the fifteenth of April. And it's the 25th of March. That's like three weeks. And I feel like this is a year's worth of work. <laughs> um, I will say I'm also surprised because I my biggest fear was that the three, like, because it's like part one is Liliana. Part two is, um, oh my God, Francesca. Part three is Anna. And so I was worried that the three sections didn't work well together to like hold the narrative together. But I, that's clearly not an issue. She didn't mention anything about that unless it's coming in the next round of edits, which it might be not to say that it's not. Um, yeah. So definitely have some thinking that I need to do. I do have some questions, which um, I will be asking about because I can't fix it if I don't understand it. So, but I will say like having been through workshop where everything is like, start with something positive and then get the feedback. It does sting a little bit when it's all stuff you have to fix. I mean, granted, like I'm, didn't she say to start with like, right. I'm just saying like when, like, I guess when you're used to like, a couple compliments being littered in there every once in a while. It kind of makes the blow a little bit easier, but obviously past the point of compliments. No, that's what I was going to say. Like, I do think like we don't have time for that shit. Like we have a book that needs to be edited. So yeah. So there's that time to make a game plan for revision. And if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go cry. No, (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) Anyways. All right. Well, there you go. So when I got my notes, the first, when I opened those two files, I thought, oh, wow, one of them is just grammar corrections. Well, no, 
I'm a moron. And when I opened them, I was looking at them um, just in, I, I have a Gmail account. So when I was looking at them, I was just in Gmail. But um, then I downloaded the, it was a Word document. So I downloaded the Word document and then I opened up track changes and I saw that there's not just grammatical, like nitty gritty stuff, but my editor went through and obviously gave me um, a lot of feedback. And I am still going through that a week later. Um, so when I went through my the global comments, it was I had a few questions, but since I've been going through the in-text comments, I've realized that my questions were answered in the in-text comments. And so now I have, um, today especially, I've been spending a lot of time going through those notes and deciding what my game plan was. So I'm just going to talk through my, my process of how I decided to make my game plan for revising because you guys, my revision or my, my next round is my deadline is April 15th, which is in two fucking weeks. I'm freaking out. Like I feel like a little bit overwhelmed because it's based on all the, the feedback that my editor gave me. It feels like a lot needs to change, but thankfully, funny thing I was saying he or she in my, um, first feedback, but actually my editor is, um, mail. So he, um, gave me like really great places. Like when I was confused about, Oh, I'm not sure where this issue is happening. Like one of the things he talks about is not understanding like how characters get from one place to the other. Thankfully the in text comments point to those specific places. So anyway, that's just like one example of how the editor answered my questions before I even had to write an email asking them which is great uh, because, you know, you want to be autonomous and self-sufficient. Or rather, I'd like to be autonomous and self-sufficient. Anyway, so um, when I, after I got my feedback and I've been going through it still, and it's, it's quite intensive, I, I don't know what I was expecting when I went, when I got my edits, but I definitely was not expecting such a large volume of feedback. Uh, I don't know why I wasn't expecting it, but I just wasn't expecting so much feedback. Um, and it's not that it's like, oh, your novel sucks. You know, you have to fix all this stuff. It's just like, just you can tell that, you know, the editor has such a keen eye and notices like things that, you know, um, Justin and I were actually talking about this the other day. You know, it's like when you get feedback in the workshop from your writer friends, the feedback is just different. It's more, you know, character, you know, a little bit more plot. And this is really just like great things that like I didn't think about, like small things like how did this character get from this room to the next room where it's a kind of confusing for the reader. Or um, one of the things that I'm noticing is a consistent comment that my editor has been giving me is like, telling versus showing. And, you know, it's so funny. I mean, I've been teaching creative writing for almost, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 years. It feels like a hundred years, but I've been teaching it for so long. And it's like, we, you know, we tell our students, um, show, don't tell, show, don't tell, or, you know, and I, something that I preach to my students on the regular is to never underestimate your audience. And here I am submitting a draft where my editor is like, you're banging your audience over the head with this concept. You need to be more subtle. Um, so, and I wonder too, you know, I was thinking about this today when I was going through the feedback, you know, I wonder if, I mean, I wrote this novel, I mean, it's 2000, what, what do we say? 10 years. I mean, it's been, it's, you know, it's been a decade and in that decade, a lot of learning, has happened. And I wonder, let's say I were to write this novel starting tomorrow. I do believe it would look different. And I hope that it would be a little bit more, <laughs> um, I don't know, a little bit more like the writing would maybe be, would show a little bit more maturity and, and, uh, development of voice. So, 
that's you know in terms of like you know going going through the feedback some that's something that i've been thinking about uh but that's not really helpful in terms of getting shit done you know it's like oh what it could have shut up but like here we are this is the feedback now what are we gonna do um so um i think i don't know what you know i would love to know what my audience is up to so uh, please like, let me know. But I don't know like how often we are blessed with, um, copious amounts of feedback. And I think before I go through my game plan, I want to talk about some of the things that I share with my students that I had to internalize before coming up with the, you know, strategy to revise and fix this by April 15th. So some of the things that I tell my students, first of all, when they're giving feedback is to obviously be diplomatic and maintain a positive tone, which is something that obviously a professional editor will do. And that is definitely the case for my feedback. At no point are my feelings hurt, um, nor am I taking that shit personally. This is a business. This is a product. We want to make it the best product possible um, for people who are going to read it. And, um, hopefully share it and love it and, you know, read it again or whatever. Right. It's like the whole, the goal is to make it the best thing, the best version it can possibly be. Um, and so I, I tend to be pretty emotional person, um, as Justin can probably attest to. (laughs) I think it's funny. I feel like I'm really good at compartmentalizing. I'm really good at keeping that shit tight and, locked in in the classroom. But, um, once I leave the classroom, my emotions tend to get, uh, pretty get get the best of me sometimes. So, um, so I think it, if you're in a situation where maybe you've joined a local writer's group, which I think is a, such a great way to connect with people. Um, so if you have that kind of opportunity, you should definitely, uh, seek it out. Or if there is, there isn't one, start one. Um, but when you're getting feedback, you can't take that shit personally. The whole, you have to think, keep the, you know, the end goal in mind, which is to produce the the best version of whatever the product is that's possible. Secondly, um, you know, when taking that feedback, just remember it's, it's suggestions. Um, one of the things that I really liked about the tone of the feedback that I got was like, there was a couple of points where you know, my editor said, you know, this isn't working. Here's a solution. This is just a suggestion. He did not need to tell me that it was just a suggestion, but I think that that's really important to remember. Like there's no hard and fast rule that you have to change something unless of course your editor says you have to change it. And then I think that is really just a door opening for an an opportunity to have a dialogue about why are we changing this? What's the purpose of changing this? Um, and I have to say, I haven't come across any suggestions that I, uh, don't intend on taking or at least tweaking to meet the, um, the needs for the, for the, for the book. So that's something that's really important. I also think too, like, Something that um, I did before I started reading my feedback, the like in-text feedback was um, writing down like what my goal was with this novel in terms of like what do I want the audience to take away understanding because having that knowledge in my mind at the forefront helps me process the feedback a little bit better because it's like sometimes I'll get feedback and I'm like, oh, you know, I don't, I think there may have been a misunderstanding like Perhaps, you know, my reader didn't understand, like, or my, my editor doesn't, isn't picking up on this, which means that I need to do some work on the back end. Um, so have your goal in mind. Like, think about like, what's my, what's my end product, um, going to be, or what do I want it to be? And then as you're listening to feedback, I think it's a great, that's a great opportunity to, to see like, is my goal lining up with what this objective reader is, um, saying. So that's something to take into consideration. And then lastly, 
So here's something that like I will say, like as I was coming up with my strategy, um, as I was coming up with my strategy, I was trying to decide, and this is something I think I talked about when I was revising. Um, I can't remember if I, if I mentioned this or if I hadn't mentioned this, but when I was revising, I found myself like really focused on those like first like 50, 75 pages. And there's a whole 125 or more, there's more than that, pages after that. Um, and so I'm trying to decide as I go through my feedback, do I want to do, to do, I want to do the revisions chronologically from page one to page 200 and whatever it is, or do I want to start at the end and then work my way to the beginning? Uh, I've never revised anything out of chronological order. Um, but something that I don't know if I've mentioned before. So this novel is broken up into three parts and each part is focused on one, like, um, on one specific character. So in the first part, you're with Liliana. In the second part, you're with um, Anna. And then in the third part, you're with Fiore. So when, when I revise, I'm trying to decide, do I start, do I go Fiore, Anna, and then Liliana? Or do I do it in a, you know, do I go about it in a different way and just go in order? And so I'm not, sh- I'm still not sure, but some of the things that I, I will say in terms of like my strategy, um, which I'll, I guess I'll jump into now is, so, so this is something so small and yet it's like so stupid and I can't believe that it's even an issue, but like there's a lot of, um, inconsistencies throughout. So some of the names are not spelled the same throughout the entire, uh, draft. And that's obviously a quick, you know, that's a, you know, search, you know, find and replace situation and make sure. I think the sh- the problem that I'm having is that I guess I didn't realize that I had spelled some of the names in quite a few different variations. And I think that's just a product product of just like, you know, you're trying to get it all down on paper and it just, you know, it happens. Um, so, right. So I think in terms of game plan, first thing is to, one, it's like a booster just to be able to cross that shit off your list, is get all the inconsistencies squared away. So names will all be spelled the same. Um, I have a couple of instances where I'm, I have like the signora or the signore um, mentioned, which is like Mr. in Italian and Mrs. in Italian. And sometimes it's capitalized and sometimes it's not capitalized. And that's just, you know, it's a fuck up that needs, that's easy to adjust. So I will go through and handle all those inconsistencies. This way I know that they're done and that's like quick little nitty gritty. It's knocked out. Um, the, the, um, the other thing that I'm planning on doing is like, I have a couple of characters whose relationships need to be fleshed out. For instance, the relationship between Liliana, who is essentially, for lack of a better word, she's the protagonist. There's obviously three women that drive the entire narrative, but she is there from start to finish. Um, and she's a few, I don't know if you remember from the past where we kind of talked about like the, the precipice of this novel. She's for all intents and purposes, my aunt. Right. And so, um, she's, you know, she's, her story is coming through in each part and it's all connected to her. So she is essentially the protagonist. Um, her relationship with her sister, Angela, it's like, I, and I think, it's like there, it just needs to be fleshed out. It needs to be developed a little bit more. There's like some scenes between these two characters where their interactions don't make a lot of sense or not that they don't make a lot of sense, but there's definitely room to, um, deepen, you know, the, how they interact with each other and really show like that sisterhood, which is something that's really important to me, but also the complicated nature of, 
how sisters are, right? I don't know if any of you have sisters out there, but like having a sister is complicated. You love them, but they're also you're also competitive with them. And maybe that's just um, a nature of having a sibling. I don't know, babe, you have a brother. Are you like competitive with your brother? Maybe you used to be. I think I used to be more than, well, I don't know. Like, Because he's quite a bit younger than you. He's five years younger than me. I'm like, I mean, we never really like played sports around each other and things like that. Mm. Um, I don't know, maybe a little bit, but definitely not now. Right, not now. Right, like, see, my I have two sisters. Really, let's be real. I have three sisters because Maggie is essentially a sister. We were raised like sisters. She's my cousin, for those of you who don't know who Maggie is. But definitely, like, she, Maggie is four years older than me. Joanna is my middle, she's the middle sister. She's 21 months younger than me, so we're really close in age. And then Michelle is my youngest sister, and she is nine years younger than I am. And definitely with Maggie and Joanna, they're, I definitely felt hyper-competitive with them, um, maybe it was grades, looks, um, whatever, right? It was definitely, competitiveness was definitely a part of it. But also there's like this like super close bond, like Maggie and I, I mean, we, we are so close and have shared so much together. Um, we've, you know, we've done trips together and I mean, so, and I definitely want in the novel for to capture that kind of complicated tension where it's 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 like you love them but also there are times when you're keeping your sibling at a distance uh that and that's something that's super important to develop and it's really I didn't realize until I was going through my notes and I don't know 10 years later how I didn't realize this I didn't understand like how valuable that relationship was and how important um, how critical it is to the plot. So that's definitely something that I will be focusing a majority of my revision and edits on. Um, the other thing that, and this is something that like I'm really struggling with deciding and I'm just, I'm just being real here. Um, because the novel is sort of a love triangle. And again, that is such a shitty way of describing it because it's not like a true love triangle. It's not like, like the men are not even really in the picture. Um, because right. There's like the whole diaspora element, but there's definitely this element of like, you know, Liliana and her feelings toward her husband and toward like the one that got away. And um, something that my editor keeps pointing to is it's like, is she, is Liliana aware that she feels this way? Or is this, is it like subconscious? Is she not even, is she not aware that she's so upset by the one that got away? Like, so that's definitely something that, um, I need to decide, and I think my game plan for that is I'm going to write, and they won't, they will not appear in the novel. It'll just be for me, but I definitely want to do some writing exercises, maybe with some journaling as if I'm Liliana, so I'll probably write some journal entries from Liliana's perspective, and then um, I'm definitely going to write some scenes between Liliana and Raffaele. Raffaele is the first, is the boyfriend who leaves for Venezuela at the way beginning. Um, So I'm definitely going to write some scenes. I don't know if those scenes are going to end up in the novel, but I think I need to write them out because I know how they go down in my brain, but I think writing them out will be a really good exercise for... um, Writing in a more subtle way, which is the other, the last sort of big part of my revision, um, which is, you know, finding, like identifying the places where my editor says, you know, there's too much showing here. Why don't you show it? Or there's too much, 
there's too much telling here. Why don't you show this? Um, and so I definitely want to um, have those scenes fleshed out. And I think having those scenes fleshed out will make it easier for me to write a little more subtly and a little bit more artistically instead of um, what what is currently happening in some sections where it's not, it's a little bit too in your face. It needs to be, you know, one of the comments that I, I loved the way he phrased this was like, when you tell your audience this, they like, it takes them out of the experience of, you know, feeling the same things that your protagonist is feeling. So that's definitely something that, um, you know, you don't want to, you don't want your, your audience to be plucked out because your narrator is too concerned that the audience isn't picking it up, right? You want to make sure that it's a full experience. And that's something that's really important. So, so far that's the game plan. And the last thing that I have to work on for this edit, which as you can see, this list is fucking long, y'all. It is not a short list of things to do. Um, but the last thing I need to work on is consistency with point of view. And I'm really... So I have an omniscient narrator, sort of, right? Like the narrator goes inside the brains of only certain characters. So, and there's a little bit of POV hopping going on. So I need to go through and make sure that um, in places where the editor is pointing to them, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to go through and do the whole thing, but definitely where it's been pointed out to me that it's confusing or ineffective uh, we'll definitely be addressing point of view. So those are like the big, I don't want to like, I already feel super overwhelmed. So I really want to make sure that I don't try to do all the things all at once. Um, so I, what I, my, what I have my, like my, um, I'm trying to phrase this right. Like my idea is that I want to make sure that as I'm going through it, that I'm dealing with the comments on the side and then having those big ideas in the back of my head so that I can address them as they come. Thankfully, the in-text notes address those big ideas so that I don't have to like go through the draft 5,000 times, you know, because my, my, at first I was concerned that I was going to have to go, all right, let's fix all the point of view stuff, go through 200 pages and then deal with point of view. And then, okay, now I need to flesh out the relationship between Liliana and her sister. 200 pages of that. I was a little bit worried that that was going to be how I had to do it. But I don't think that that's going to be an issue because the, the feedback that I've gotten is super great and it's really, shouldn't be too difficult to work through the draft. I'm thinking I will have to go through it probably two times, maybe three times to knock out all those things. But before I do any of it, I'll be writing out those scenes between Liliana and Raffaele. Um, and that this way I sort of have their relationship fleshed out before I dig into to tightening that up. So that's the plan. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go because I haven't quite dug in yet. I think processing all that feedback has been a little bit daunting, to be honest. I, I'm sure at some point when I did this, this piece as my thesis, I'm sure, I mean, I have all this feedback from my professors and it looks nothing like what the editor gave me. Not that it was, it's just different type of feedback. Um, but I get, when I got it from my feet, from my professors, the feedback was, you know, this is some stuff you might consider working on. Should you decide to work on this later? Or if you want to keep working on this after you've, now that you've got your, your defense is done. So now I've got an editor with this keen eye for, you know, how did this character get here and all this, all this stuff. And so definitely the, the feedback looks really different. And, um, 
I will say one of the things that as I was reading this, I kept thinking like, how fun is this job that he, you know, that he gets to go through reading all these books and giving this feedback. It's like the fun part of being a creative writing teacher. <laughs> um, except the eye is so different. I'm really quite amazed with how different the eye is. That's something that I've, I've been uh, marveling as I'm going through this feedback is the, 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 the different way that an editor looks at your book versus, you know, a, your writer friend or a friend who's just really avid reader it's just so different. It's fascinating. I've been really enjoying that uh, that side of it. So I that's that's the plan. That's what's going on. I'm gonna have to try to channel my uh, my workshop self. Put that thick skin back on. I will say, <laughs> um, for the most part, you know, I've done workshops since undergrad. It's you know since I was twenty. So it's over. I've been doing workshops for over 20, 14 years. So it's been, it's been a long time, you know, 14, 15 years of workshopping. Um, and I have to say getting feedback when it stings a little bit, it still stings even <laughs> with the thick skin. Um, and having to remember that the, the, everybody in the room has the same goal, right? Like I want this to be the best novel possible, the publisher wants it to be the best version possible. The editor wants it to be successful. Everybody in the room has the same goal. So, like, put your feelings aside. They don't fucking matter. It's time to work. So, um, on that note, I will leave it at that. So, that's the show. Uh, you can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or wherever you get podcasts. Please leave me a review and then tell your friends. Uh, you can keep up with the show at GloriaPanzera.com slash podcast. While you're there, please sign up for my email list. Um, if you'd like to email the show, email us at podcast at GloriaPanzera.com. You can keep up with me on social media and Instagram. On Instagram and Twitter at G-L-O-R-I-A-P-A-N-Z-E-R-A. Is it okay? So just as a small thing, I know how to spell my fucking name, and I have it written down in front of me, and I still feel like I have to stare at it, like in case I mess up. How weird is that? All right. Anyway, random thoughts. Uh, thank you for listening to this novel is happening. Mm-hmm.